Does God want you to be happy? Yeah, yeah, he does. I mean, sometimes I feel like we approach that like a trick question. Like, what do you mean behind that, Father? Like, I think he might want me to be happy, but like, there's got to be something more to it. But really, God, as the good Father that he is, as the one who created, not because he needed you, but because he loved you, he, he truly wants you to be happy. And sometimes we don't look at it that way. We might think, no, 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 God takes away a lot of my options, right? He tells me that there are things that I cannot do. Or he calls me to great sacrifices, to um, maybe give up things that I love. How can he possibly want me to be happy and yet allow suffering to come to me and yet call me to sometimes sacrifice? We seem to see a disconnect there. Or we might have bought into this false dichotomy between being happy and being holy. We, we might even have heard the phrase, God doesn't want you to be happy, he wants you to be holy. Well, who said the two can't be together? The two are not mutually exclusive because the happiest people that ever lived were the saints. They were happy not because life was great to them. No, a lot of them died painful deaths. A lot of them endured great sickness in their lives. A lot of them faced ridicule on a daily basis. A lot of them had to answer to superiors that were less holy and less intelligent than them. And yet they had what God wants for you. And that is that deep joy that resides at the core of who you are, that isn't determined by what life does to you, but is a choice that you make. It's not a fleeting emotion that comes and goes like pleasure or pain, but it's something that, that is an anchor in the soul, that even if there is this, this great storm in your life, there's this rootedness in joy. That's what God wants for you. And that's why in the middle of every Lent, in the middle of every Advent, even during these seasons when we think about um, that great work of accepting God's call to holiness, of repenting of our sins, of, of taking on difficult disciplines, in the midst of that, God calls us, and not only calls us, commands us to rejoice. And we might think, how can you command me to rejoice? And yet, that's what he did in today's liturgy. The very first words of the entrance antiphon are rejoice from the prophet Isaiah. And then in the New Testament, that's echoed in Paul, who in the letter to the Philippians says, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. Well, if joy is just the consequence of good things happening to me, God cannot command me to do that because good things don't always happen to me. So we might have to ask, what is joy? If it's more than just an emotion that I have zero control over, joy is a recognition of what you have, or rather who you have. A joy is being able to look at the deepest reality of who you are and whose you are and to grasp onto that and let it carry you through all of life, life's difficulties. Joy is what the saints had. And joy is what God wants you to have. But the question might be, do you want you to be happy? Because we already know that God wants you to be happy. God wants to give you this joy that can survive all that life throws at you. Is that what you want for you? On the surface, you might say, of course, Father, that is just 
dumb question, let's be honest. Of course I want joy. That's what I'm seeking. That's why I work so hard at work, so that I can get money, so that I can get stuff that makes me happy. Or so that I can have that security knowing that my family is taken care of and that will make me happy. I spend time with my family, with my friends, because I think it will make me happy. I have this romantic relationship or that one because I will think it will make me happy. And all that's well and good. And God can, in fact, give us a lot of joy through all of those natural goods. But I want to dig a little deeper. If you really want to be happy, if you want to have that abiding joy, why is it that you consistently rob yourself of the opportunity for it? And here I might say, the world, it might advertise joy, but it gets us hooked on despair. It gets us hooked on worry. If you want to see an example of this, look at the 24-7 news channels. There's so many of them. A new one pops up each day, and then there are blogs, and then there are podcasts, and we can end up spending the majority of our waking hours thinking about only the worst things that are going on because they're not going to say, no news today, everything's great, go look elsewhere. No, they want your eyes glued to that screen. And is that what I consistently feed myself? When I wake up in the morning, is the first thing that I do say, that was a breath. Thank you, Lord, for that breath. Ooh, there's the sun. Thank you that it hasn't exploded yet on us. Like, um, this bed, I'm very grateful for that. This family, they drive me crazy. Nevertheless, thank you for them. Or do I immediately jump into my to-dos and my worries and then the world crises? They're there, they're real, but do they need my full attention? Am I going to change what's happening on the world stage? Or do I just deplete all my energy worrying about that, and then I have no joy left to give me energy for what I can control? Even sports, right? Something as simple as sports that should give us joy. It's a good thing to be able to watch a sport and see an athlete do incredible things. And what should take us 10 minutes to just watch the highlights and say, oh my gosh, he is so good at that. That is just great. Or she is a remarkable specimen of a human being. Look at what she just did. Instead, we watch two hours of arguing in analysis. We don't just watch the great things, enjoy them, say thank you, and move on with our lives. Instead, we get sucked into being, ooh, I got to be angry about what this owner did or what that player said. I need to be angry about this team doing that or that team doing this. And so I repeat, do you want to be happy? Do you want to have that deep and abiding joy that God wants you to have? How do we get it? Right? How do we get a joy that is not uh, merely a consequence of great stuff happening to us? Because if we're just going to sit and wait for great stuff to happen to us, we're going to be a church of miserable people. You know what? Sadly, that's what we often look like. We, we look like the, the group of buzzkills and that if somebody's having fun somewhere, we got to go stop them because they're not living life right. And I think part of it is because we've put our joy into all of these other little things instead of grasping onto that deepest joy of knowing who we are in the Father's embrace. What do I mean? Well, we have today one of the most beautiful gospels in all, all four Gospels, one of the most beautiful parables that Jesus ever spoke. And it's the parable of the prodigal son, or of the two sons, or of the forgiving father. Whatever you may want to call it, it's that story that I think is one of the first that any of us ever heard from Jesus.
And how does it go? Well, it begins with these two sons, and the, father, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. What does that mean? What is he saying? He's saying there, Dad, I can't wait for the formality of you dying for me to have your stuff. Right? When, when, when you die, I get half your stuff. But you are stubbornly and selfishly still alive. So if you could just give me your stuff, that would be great. Now, now any father in this uh, situation, he doesn't have a legal right to give him this. He has every right to chastise this son, but instead he says, Okay, you don't want happiness with me. You want to seek it elsewhere. Here are your things. Essentially, this son is saying, I don't want you, I want your stuff. I don't want relationship with you. I just want the benefits that that has given me. And he goes off. And we might think, what an awful son. This guy, somebody needs to teach him a lesson. When I read it, though, I say, man, I've been him so many times. Every time that God has invited me into deeper relationship with him, and I've said, no, 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 just give me the blessings, all right? I don't want the demands. I don't want a real relationship. I don't want to give you five minutes of my time right now because time is money, and I need more of both. And so, sorry, God, I'm going to demand that you bless me, that you fulfill my wishes as much as a genie would. Not this three stuff, though. Unlimited, okay? I need all the blessings, all the wishes fulfilled. But I don't want you. And how many times in my life have I done that? But we might think, we didn't get his motives here. Right? What were the motivations of this young man? It could very well be that he justified himself and he said, No, 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 I've got to prove something here. I've got to go off and make it on my own. I've got to show the old man that I am just as good as he is. So, I mean, yes, I'll take all the starting money that I can. But I'm going to go off and I am going to strike my own path. I am going to go find my own happiness, build my own life. And then how did it work out for him? After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. Right? The the world's not all bad. Right? The world is, in fact, at its core, good. God gave us so many avenues for joy in the world. But the world doesn't love you. And you need to know that. The, The person on the other end of the podcast doesn't love you. The person that you are maybe letting form your entire world doesn't know that you exist, or that's, that's forming your worldview, doesn't have you on his or her radar. The world is as unforgiving as God is forgiving. And so when he sought his happiness outside of his father's love, he didn't find it. He found himself in dire need, and at that moment, something beautiful happened. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers are more than enough to eat, but here am I dying from hunger. Coming to his senses. See, that's what we pray for for our family members that have left the faith. That's what we pray for for ourselves when we begin to stray. That's what we pray for for those who maybe have never even known the love of an earthly father, much less the heavenly father. That they may 
be inspired by grace to come to their full senses, see the reality of their situation, and run back to the Father's love. Here we might realize that that's our great work of evangelization is helping people in that process. To realize that every single person with a beating heart has the capacity to be able to have an interior life, to have a real seeking after the Lord. And when we enter into their difficulty and say, you know what, this is awful. I I hate that you're suffering. And and there's not much that I can do. I can't can't wave a magic wand, but you know what I can do is I, I can pray for you and with you. Can we pray together? Ooh, that takes a lot of courage. But we're able to do it if we realize God's already working on that heart. And you might be the instrument by which that person comes to his senses and returns to the Father who has never stopped loving him. We pray for that for others, but we also pray for that for ourselves. Because how often is it that we stray? Even if we come every week here, interiorly we may stray far away from the Lord and we need that grace to come to our senses and know that he will take us back. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. How beautiful. Right? He doesn't force his son to run to him. He doesn't force his son to come to him begging on his knees. Instead, he runs out to him. And before his son can finish his speech where he says, I'm not worthy to even be your son anymore, he says, no, 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 no. You are and always have been my son. You disowned me, but I never disowned you. And so he goes to the servants and says, Bring the finest robe. Put a ring on this man's finger. Put sandals on his feet. And start the celebration because this son of mine who was dead has come to life. And what's beautiful is that this transformation, this death to life um, occurrence in our lives happens in every confession. That we are able to go and face the Father's love and say to him, yes, this is what I've done. And really, my soul is crying out to me that I'm not worthy to be in your presence, but you've invited me here, so just treat me as a hired worker. And God looks at you in the eyes and says, you are my daughter, you are my son. You are my child and you never stopped being such. So now let the celebration begin because you came into this confessional dead and you're leaving alive. But it doesn't end there. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back as he neared the house, he heard the the sound of music and dancing. And upon hearing what the cause of it was, that his brother had come back and his father had the biggest party they had seen in ages, it says he became angry. And when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. You know, what's beautiful here is the father is the one running out to both of these sons. Both of these sons that don't have joy. Right? The first one thought that he would leave the house in pursuit of joy. But the second one hits even closer to home. This older brother was in the house but had no joy. He had access to everything but felt like he had nothing. And that's the one I feel like more often. 
That's where we Christians get a bad name because sometimes we are so upset at other people's lives going well when we have put in so many sacrifices and it seems God's not blessing us. Or if somebody is in the first stages of repentance but maybe they're not all the way there. They try to come to the church but they don't know how to do everything perfectly and we might say, oh, they're doing that wrong. Oh, they're doing this other thing wrong. Hey, Father, hey, Father, you need to tell them this. Hey, Father, you need to tell them that. And sometimes we can be like the older brother, who instead of rejoicing that a soul is coming to its senses, says, you haven't, you're not good enough yet. Please, leave. Come back when you're perfect. But I think the saddest part is in what this, the older son says to the father. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. All these, son, all these years I've served you, right? I have checked the boxes. I have done what you wanted. But we realize here that this son too was not concerned with the father's love. This son too just had a, a, an attitude of duty toward his father, but there was no love there. He wanted just the same thing that the younger son did. He wanted to have stuff that was only his and not also the father's. He wanted to be cut off from the father but have the father's stuff. You never gave me a young goat. The father says, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. And he didn't see it that way. He thought, unless I have it and it's exclusively mine, it's not mine at all. If I have to be dependent on you for it, then I don't consider myself a success. And how often is that the case for us? Where we think, I will have joy the moment that God gives me the stuff that I want. Maybe I haven't outright rejected him. Maybe I haven't left the church, but interiorly I'm so mad at him. Because other people have stuff and I don't. Because other people have the attention, the admiration the money, the health. And I don't, and I feel betrayed, I feel unloved, I feel abandoned, neglected. And resentment sets in. We might be the younger son that's wandered. We might be the older son that interiorly has built up resentment. But all of us here are invited into greater joy. We're invited into the joy of first and foremost realizing who we are in the Father's embrace, that no matter how far we've strayed, He will take us back, and that all that He has is ours, if only we cling to Him. And then all of the other stuff pales in comparison. I could be struck down with the worst illness, I can be imprisoned, ridiculed, all the things that the saints endured, and I can still have the joy of knowing that this life is short, and whatever suffering is in it is incomparable to the glory of the eternity God invites me into. But how do we access that joy? Well, as a final note, we can turn to the psalm that we read today. Psalm 34, verse 6 says, Look to him that you may be radiant with joy and your faces may not blush with shame. See, there's our answer. If we're looking for joy, we look to him. 
Because joy is what we find in our Father's eyes when He looks at us and where we expect Him to only be disappointed. To have this look of stern consternation on His face saying, Why aren't you better? Instead, He looks at us with such pride, with such joy. He says to us, You are mine. You always have been. You always will be. He says to us, I forgive you for all that you have done wrong and I call you to be transformed in my love. And so at this Mass... We look to Him so that we may be radiant with joy, so that our faces may not blush with shame, but instead we may be filled with that joy that the saints knew, that joy that our hearts desire, and that joy that God desires for each of us.